Welcome to Take Up and Read, a bite-sized Bible study podcast on the Sunday Catholic Mass readings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This Sunday is the Solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe in Year B, also known as the Solemnity of Christ the King. This feast was instituted by Pope Pius XI in his 1925 encyclical Quas Primus, and it was originally celebrated on the last Sunday of October. The point of the feast was to be a liturgical antidote to secularism and nationalism. After the liturgical reforms of the early 1970s, Christ the King was moved to the last Sunday of the liturgical year. The season of Advent begins next week, marking the beginning of a new liturgical year, when the Church looks forward to the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas. The readings today will focus on Christ's royal glory, which is a fitting point of meditation for the culmination of the liturgical year. Our first reading is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, a passage often referred to and discussed on this podcast as a prophetic vision of Christ, the Messiah. Jesus makes reference to the Son of Man in this reading at different places in the Gospels most notably in front of the high priest Caiaphas during his passion. See Mark chapter 14, verse 62. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Indeed, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man repeatedly throughout his preaching. The Son of Man in Daniel approaches the Ancient One, who is obviously God, but the Son of Man himself is riding on the clouds, an image in Scripture that is often a divine prerogative. Take, for instance, Psalm 104, verse 3. You, take, you make the clouds your chariot, traveling on the wings of the wind. The Ancient One is judging the kingdoms foretold in Daniel's prophecy, itself a fascinating subject that we do not have time for here. Succeeding them all is the everlasting dominion handed to the Son of Man, which we understand to be the kingdom of God proclaimed by Jesus during his ministry the Catholic Church. On the other hand, in the verses that follow our Mass reading, Daniel's vision is interpreted for him by one of the angels serving in the heavenly court, who tells him that the everlasting dominion is received by the holy ones of the Most High, understood to be the persecuted righteous ones of Israel. There would seem to be an incongruity, the kingdom being handed to an individual in one scene and a multitude in the next. Like much of biblical prophecy, there are multiple layers here. The everlasting dominion is handed to the Son of Man, Jesus, and the Holy Ones, his saints and the Church. The Church is the body of Christ, as St. Paul frequently reminds us. This is the understanding of the book of Revelation, what the Church in her wisdom has selected for our second reading. Our psalm this Sunday is Psalm 93, one of the so-called enthronement psalms which describe God's universal kingship. This seems to have been a Near Eastern genre, as there are similarities here to literature from surrounding cultures depicting the ascendancy of their gods. Israel is known to have appropriated these forms and adapted them to praise of the Lord. Psalm 93 is obviously a fitting psalm for the solemnity of Christ the King, and does not need much explanation. In the final verse, we see God's kingship expressed in his trustworthy decrees and the holiness of his house, which is to say, the temple in Jerusalem. The Sunday second reading is Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, 
which due to the feast has been chosen in harmony with the other readings. The author of Revelation is St. John the Apostle, during his time of exile on the island of Patmos. Patmos was located in the Aegean Sea and used by the Romans as a penal colony. In John's case, his crime was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. John calls Jesus the firstborn of the dead, not because he merely returned to earthly life as some others were granted in the Bible, even by Jesus himself. Jesus is the firstborn because he has been raised to a new resurrected life and has promised the same to all who follow him in holiness. In proclaiming that, behold, he is coming amid the clouds in verse 7, John is identifying Jesus with the figure from our first reading, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In verse 6, John makes clear what we just noted in discussing the first reading. Jesus rules the kingdoms with his faithful, having made us into a kingdom, priests for God, for his God and Father. We can hear an echo here of St. Paul's great teaching on the church as the body of Christ. As a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ. Now you are Christ's body, in individually parts of it. See 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 27. The Catechism of the Catholic Church touches more on the so-called common priesthood of the faithful, or baptismal priesthood, in paragraphs 1546 and 1547. Christ, high priest and unique mediator, has made the church a kingdom, priests for his God and Father. The whole community of believers is, as such, priestly. The faithful exercise their baptismal priesthood through their participation, each according to his vocation and Christ's mission as priest, prophet, and king. Through the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, the faithful are consecrated to be a holy priesthood. The ministerial or hierarchical priesthood of bishops and priests, and the common priesthood of all the faithful, participate, each in its own proper way, in the one priesthood of Christ. While the common priesthood of the faithful is exercised by the unfolding of baptismal grace, a life of faith, hope, and charity, a life according to the Spirit, the ministerial priesthood is at the service of the common priesthood. It is directed at the unfolding of the baptismal grace of all Christians. For more on how Catholics participate in Christ's threefold office of priest, prophet, and king, see paragraphs 783 through 786 of the Catechism. The reign of God, we are told in the final verse, is for all time, Alpha and Omega being the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. To shed more light on this and the rest of the book of Revelation, I suggest Dr. Scott Hahn's books, The Lamb's Supper and Letter in Spirit. Our gospel this Sunday is John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37, Pontius Pilate's questioning of Jesus. In verse 37, in Jesus' reply to Pilate, he says, You say I am a king. This has been interpreted in various ways, but it was actually an idiomatic way of confirming the questioner's understanding. Another rendering might be, yes, absolutely I am a king. In response to the accusations of his enemies, and contrary to the expectations of some of his followers, Jesus says that his kingship does not belong to this world. As we have noted before on this podcast, many Jews of Jesus' day were expecting a Messiah who would be an earthly ruler who would successfully drive the Romans out of the Holy Land. 
The Romans were well aware of these nationalist currents of thought, and kept a strong military presence in the province to prevent insurrection. Jesus' enemies, charging him with plotting against the Roman authorities, was calculated to provoke a decisive Roman response. Pilate's questioning indicates his skepticism and exasperation that he may be getting pulled into a religious dispute. He will ultimately convict Jesus not so much on the merits of the case, but under the cold calculation that political stability lies in placating the Jewish authorities over Jesus' disciples. Do we make the same compromise when our Catholic faith is unpopular? As a quick aside, I would like to say that the depiction of this scene in The Passion of the Christ is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Next time you watch it, notice that Pilate asks his first question of Jesus in Aramaic, while Jesus responds in perfect Latin. Pilate and his guard exchange a surprised look, and the questioning continues in Latin. Of course, such a detail is not in the Gospels, but the creativity here is ingenious. What must it have been like to question the Son of God? Finally, I will close with words from Pius XI's encyclical Quas Primus, which I mentioned at the beginning. If to Christ our Lord is given all power in heaven and on earth, if all men, purchased by his precious blood, are by a new right subjected to his dominion, if this power embraces all men, it must be clear that not one of our faculties is exempt from his empire. He must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to revealed truths and to the doctrines of Christ. He must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things, and cleave to him alone. He must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls, or to use the words of the Apostle Paul as instruments of justice unto God. That's all we have time for today. Let's conclude with a collect from this Sunday's Mass. Almighty, ever-living God, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of the universe, grant, we pray, that the whole creation, set free from slavery, may render your majesty service and ceaselessly proclaim your praise. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more and find resources, visit studycatholic.com. And please tell your friends about the show and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again, and God bless.